Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're ready. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles tonight. Alright, welcome back to the update. Today we're looking at the AFC East, a division that seems to never ever change, and I don't see why 2017 would be any different. So we already have our AFC East season previews up on the uh, website settingedge.com. Uh, Adam Beasley from the Miami Herald, he actually cited some of Justice's work in an article this week. So we're starting to gain a little bit of traction with them, and uh, it's going to be fun to see where this takes us the rest of the summer. But let's dive right in with the fourth place team, or the team that we assume is going to be fourth place in New York Jets. And by all intents and purposes, it looks like they're tanking. I mean, that offense is abysmal. They just cut Eric Decker today, which means their best receiver on the team is probably our Darius Stewart, which they drafted in the third round this year, it, it's going to be a disaster, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're reach, we've are we reached week 14 and this team hasn't even won a game yet. Yeah, so the, their wide receiver unit is in a really weird spot, right? Because they thought they were going to get Decker back. Um, Brandon Marshall obviously was their number one receiver last year. He ended up leaving for a two-year, $11 million deal with the New York Giants. Uh, he can stay in New York and do his little TV thing. But, like, the only guys who are, like, significant in terms of guys who are returning from this past year are, like, Qu- Quincy Anunua, right, and then uh, Robbie Anderson, who both got – I mean, one's a seventh-round pick, one's an undrafted free agent. Um, both of them had over 14 yards per reception. So, like, they're, they're deep threats, and the Jets were kind of weird in that when they completed passes, they usually were deep passes. Uh, they just had such a high variance because they were so bad at, one, completing passes, and, two, th- not throwing to the other team. But they got Ardarius Stewart, Chad Hansen, uh, I think – Austin Safarian Jenkins led the team in tight end receptions last year, and he had 10. Um, the top returning receiver right now is Quincy Nunwa, who has uh, 58 receptions, which is the same that I think, uh, what is it, uh, Balao Powell has. I think yeah. it's either him or Matt Forte. Like, ba- basically, their backup running back you know, is tied with their top returning receiver in terms of reception, in terms of uh, receptions leader. And their offensive coordinator right now is the New Orleans Saints' old wide receiver coach since Chad Chan uh, Gailey retired. So, like, he has his work totally cut out for him. And, you know, you think of New Orleans as a team that throws to the backfield a lot, right? But that hasn't really been the case over the last two years. So if, like, Powell's reception numbers go down, I mean, that only stresses their receiver talent even more. And it's not like they really had any – like, you can't really work – you can't really stretch out that receiver unit right now unless you think two, two uh, you know, mid-round pick receivers in uh, Ardarius Stewart and Chad Hansen end up making a significant contribution this next year. Yeah, I, I think that pretty much covers it. This is going to be a very, very bad offensive unit, probably the worst in the league, and – I'm sorry, Jets fans, that just not, there isn't much to say. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. And on defense, uh, they, they still have uh, Leonard Williams, uh, Sheldon Richardson, and Muhammad Wilkerson, but they still don't really know what they're trying to do with those three pieces. I mean, it, last year they had Sheldon Richardson playing inside linebackers sometimes, which is, just doesn't make any sense at all. But 
The secondary is going to be a work in progress as they try to ingratiate two rookie safeties and Jamal Adams and Marcus May in there. So, yeah, I, I, it's going to be a bad season, but I think they're planning for it. I, I'm just most interested to see if Todd Bowles survives the season or not. That's the only, that's the really only interesting Jets storyline to me this year. Yeah, and, like, so I, I noted this, too. There's there's no head coach who has had who has more NFL experience who has a worse record, basically, than Todd Bowles um, in games, in, in, in multi-score games, right? So there's only two head coaches with three years under their belt who have lost more big-score games than they've won, and that's Jim Caldwell with the Lions and Jay Gruden with the Redskins. And both of those guys have gone no less than, I think, like, seven and nine in their last two years, you know, in year, what you would think of as, you know, year two and year three of their runs with the team. And that's not a position that Todd Bowles is in. Um, so like, if like just the fact that he got this extra year is kind of a bit unprecedented in terms of like what the NFL landscape is right now. Um, and if he gets to see through the end of this rebuild, that would be that would, frankly, that would kind of be shocking. Like it kind of seems like he's he's dead man walking type of situation right now, which really sucks for the Jets unless you like really believe that the general manager who just spent back-to-back picks on uh, safeties and kind of bombed the Christian Hackenberg pick last year is like the guy that you guys want to build around and that the head coach doesn't matter as much as the general manager. Yeah, uh, I think that pretty much covers up the Jets. Uh, let's move on to the third-place team. I think we're on the same page here with the Miami Dolphins being third-place team. Yes, sir. And if for nothing else, exclusively because their assistant head coach talked about uh, how he thinks he can sustain an 8-2 and two season in uh, close games, in single-score games, which is – that that's just crazy. So here, here's one thing. The Joe Montana-San Francisco 49ers had a losing record in close games. Close games is a coin flip. Like, that's not something that you can sustain. And his – his his uh his his shot back was basically uh like we have the same people so why why couldn't we and it's like man that's not how yeah, coin flips work. works. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> like what type of type of uh, gambles gamblers uh, fallacy are we trying to talk about here? But basically, I mean Miami Dolphins on paper should regress probably four wins, so they they should be under five hundred this year. Uh, when you look at the depth of the team, really, what's what scares you? Like they have Jay Ajayi, right? They have young receivers. Other than that, their offensive line wasn't good last year, and they returned the same guys. I think their um, offensive or, line might, might be worse. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, they, they, they moved a guy who they didn't think – what like, okay. So Tunsil and James were not the guys that they were willing to roll out last year at the start of the season. Like, some, there's something there. But, uh, you know, Pouncey's going to come back. There's a potential of Pouncey being uh, healthy. You know, there's obviously potential of him not being healthy. Um, Ryan Tannehill and Matt Moore are basically interchangeable. So, like, I, I don't know. You, well, you're paying one guy, you know, one guy has a $20 million cap hit. The other guy has a $2 million cap hit. So I don't know how much value you're trying to maximize there. On the defensive side of the ball, linebacker was obviously an issue. But they added Lawrence Timmons, who, you know, that, that guy, I, I went back and scored and uh, charted tackles of three yards or less in the playoffs. And Lawrence Timmons, even though he didn't play in the Super Bowl, you know, he had one less game than some of these uh, some of these other guys did. Um, he blew everyone out of the water. Like, that guy can still absolutely play. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting. I remember uh, when we tweeted out the the uh, link to the Dolphins article a few days ago, there were so many Dolphins fans who were like, no, this team is going to be back in the playoffs. And there was one guy who said, I can't tell the future, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I guarantee you that the Dolphins will be in the playoffs. I was like, what in the hell are you talking about, dude? But – I think some people just need to come to grips that this. I don't think this team is that talented. 
there's there like you said, there's not really one area of the defense that scares you. I, I know Kiko Alonso just got that uh, extension, but even then, his play wasn't that great last season. He just kind of was one of those guys who had a lot of volume numbers. Uh, the defensive line, you know, you have Indominus Sue and Cameron Wake, and you're, you're kind of banking on uh, two young guys and Charles Harris and Jordan Phillips kind of being immediate impact players this season. And Jordan Phillips is coming up on year three, and he's had his flashes, but overall still needs to be much, much more consistent. So you look at the offensive line, the quarterback situation isn't really scary the receiver situation isn't scary I mean you're, you're still probably running that passing game through uh Jarvis Landry who's pretty much a glorified running back and that that's just that's never you, you it's never really a sustainable plan for explosive plays that's not going to be it for them this year so yeah I think there'll be a third place team and I wouldn't be surprised if they're drafting drafting like the top 12 this time next year no and the weird thing too is they so they spent a lot of assets on that defensive end spot, right? So they they re, they gave Andre Branch a new contract. Cameron Wake's status is solidified. They traded for William Hayes and then converted his contract to a one year deal that's worth five million dollars, uh, even though he's only had more than six sacks in one season and it was a seven sack season in 2012. They drafted a first round pick in Charles Harris, and I still don't know if you can play two of those defensive ends and like threaten an offense. And like play him sixty percent of the time, you know what I mean? Because like Cameron Wake, I, I understand he's like a superhuman, right? But at some point, his age is getting up there. He's going to need to get on a pitch count at some point. And I'm not necessarily. I don't think I'm not sure Andre Branch or William Hayes or you know high quality number two pass rushers. And I don't think Charles Harris is you know going to be. I was a Charles Harris guy right through the draft process, yeah. even though his numbers weren't great. Um, but I'm not sure he's going to be like a number one pass rusher out the gate. So like that that's a really weird spot. I think they have uh, three contracts. What am I? Oh, uh, four contracts that are four. four they are four of the most uh, expensive uh, 47 contracts for defensive ends in terms of average salary. And I'm not sure if they're any good. And like to put that in perspective, like what is it? Half the league doesn't have two who qualify for that and they have four <laughs> and so so like that that to me I, there's a lot of names there but like doubling down on like Andre Branch was not a move that I would have made nope uh it yeah it, it's just it's just a meh team like you're like uh the Dolphins and I feel like we, we do this every year with them where they're just kind of okay and is this the year that Tannehill breaks out and I mean I think Tannehill's fine but th- th- he's never going to be the guy that gets you past uh, the Patriots. So let's move on to our number two team, the Buffalo Bills. I, I mean, I think their off season is kind of TBD because they have been linked to Jeremy Macklin. I think they're, they still have him on a visit for uh, the second day now. So they're trying to bring in some, uh, not competition, but just anybody with experience to fill a void next to Sammy Watkins. And I would expect them to go after Eric Decker too. So what do you make of, their offense in the offseason that they've had so far. Yeah, I mean, they're one they're one of very few teams that lost uh, you know, multiple receivers who were worth at least three million dollars a year. I know, you know, Robert Woods and Marquise Goodwin aren't sexy names, right? By by any means they're not sexy names. Um but they they returned twenty eight receptions to Sammy Watkins and then basically no one else. Like the next the next receiver in terms of returning receptions is uh, Walt Powell, who has 14. You know what I mean? 
So, like, they're not in a good spot. I mean, it was obvious. You know, Zay Jones gets reunited with his wide receiver coach from uh, from college down at ECU. Um, they used restricted free agent deals, basically, on uh, on Corey Brown and Jeremy Butler. And then they signed Andre Holmes to a three-year deal with $5 million. But three years over $5 million, like, that that's – I mean that's worse than a rookie contract, you know what I mean? In in some cert, in cert for certain spots, so like I, I don't really see anything big from that receiver unit. Uh, so like obviously, I mean if Jeremy Macklin or even you know Decker lands there, right? Like I, I think that's a huge improvement just in terms of like the safety that they have because throwing out you know Sammy Watkins and Zay Jones and Corey Brown is totally different than throwing out um, than throwing what what the hell is his name? I forget it already. Sammy the Chiefs Watkins. receiver. Oh, Jeremy Macklin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeremy Macklin, Sammy Watkins, and Zay Jones. Where Zay Jones, moving Zay Jones and trusting a receiver to be that third receiver instead of that second receiver, especially when Sammy Watkins already has injury questions that have lasted basically throughout his entire NFL career. Um, that that's a huge deal. Uh, you know, they lost Mike Gillisley. They kind of they're kind of lacking running back depth right now. But I don't think that we're not going to see the same Bills running game as we did last year. I right. Don't think. It's going to be structured yeah. differently than it was last year. Yeah, I think it'll probably be a lot more zone and a lot less of those those gaps and folds. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that—that's one thing that Buffalo did really well is they were like a really good gap and fold team. Um, their one weakness was that they got tackled in in the backfield a lot. That's the thing too. But that that comes with folding. You know, if you if you have to if you're in a man on man block and there's you know a, th- a three technique who's getting upfield, especially with Shady McCoy in the backfield where right, he's a little answer. You, yeah, like if you're a blocker, you just sometimes you just have no idea what the hell's happening behind you. And you just gotta pray. Yeah, that's between him and God, man. That's between him and God. <laughs> uh, their, their offensive line. I mean, they added a guy in uh, in Deion Dawkins, but I, I don't. I mean, Marshall Newhouse, man. I, I don't think we were big fans of Deion Dawkins no, coming into this year. He reminded a lot of his tape reminded me of like what you saw from Eric Flowers as a run blocker at, yeah. at Miami, where you know the, the quote unquote waist bender, and it, it just looked really unnatural, sloppy for him. So I, I'm not banking on that being a solution for them moving forward. It's just their de- their defense is probably their upside, in my opinion, at least, right? Yeah. Like even though they lost Stephon Gilmore, their defense, I think, is what should take the next step forward, not their not their offense necessarily. Like they they're just getting guys back. You know, Jerry Hughes is Jerry Hughes is basically getting back into a, a four three role. Um, you know, Adolphus Washington had to play a lot last year, so you know, getting Kyle Williams and Marcel Darius loaded back in. Uh, Shaq Lawson missed time last year, right? Uh, you're going to get a healthy version of him, hopefully, right? Uh, Lorenzo Alexander is now like a known commodity. He's probably going to move to an off-the-ball linebacker type of position. Uh, they're getting back, uh, I forget his name, uh, the linebacker from Alabama who missed last year too. Uh, Reggie Ragland. Reggie Ragland, yeah. like that, that Buffalo team, everyone knew that Rex Ryan was on the hot seat, but losing your top two draft picks really hurt them, especially on the defense. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that, that – when you're when you're forcing Adolphus Washington into a starting role, you know, in place of Marcel Darius or Kyle Williams, that's a bad situation to be in. You know what I mean? Yep. And I I, I think the the defense, like you said, it does have potential, but they need to get a full sixteen games out of Marcel Darius one of these years. I mean, whether it's suspension or he's, he's nicked up or something, that's a guy that always seems to have a little bit of trouble staying on the field. But Kyle Williams, he's still going, even though he's a hundred years old, he's still one of the best defensive tackles in the league. So. If they can get, you know, a nice little front with Hughes and Williams and Shaq Lawson and Marcel Darius and uh, Reggie Rackham can come in and give you similar play to Preston Brown, this is a defense that 
could you know that could be top 16 top 20 in that range i think a lot of pressure is on the secondary to make up for stefan gilmore going to the patriots and uh, i think ronald darby needs to bounce back and play like he did as a rookie but that's enough on the bills let's talk about the team that has won this division just about every year since we've watched football the new england patriots and i don't see any way that this team loses unless tom brady gets hurt that's really that's really it yeah, that was kind of my put. Like that, the the Patriots preview has been the hardest preview for me to write, honestly, just because like, what the hell are you gonna say? Like they're good. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So like, I just ended up like pulling out statistics from like, okay, since two thousand six, this is what the NFL looks like, right? Because only two head coaches, uh, Marvin Lewis and Bill Belichick, have lasted longer than that. So it's like this is basically the time frame that we look at and say this is what the modern NFL looks like since two thousand six, right? Basically, the Patriots are twice as good as everyone in terms of big big score games and things like that. Um, they've won more games by by uh, multi scores than anyone. They've lost the least amount of games uh, by like half, and both of them those numbers are by like half too. So it's like a crazy number. Um, I, I don't really think like every single okay. So like we don't even have to talk about specific positions with the Patriots, right? Like let's just talk about yeah. the transactions that happened. So Garrett Blunt left. Okay, they replaced it with Mike Gillsley and Rex Burhead in the backfield. Martellus Bennett left, okay? Now they might get a healthy Rob Gronkowski, who is probably the best tight end I've ever seen in my life, right? Uh, they traded for Dwayne Allen, and at receiver, they traded for Brandon Cooks. At On the defensive line, they lost Jabal Shirt, who they benched midseason, Chris Long, who was kind of a rotational player anyway, and they brought in Lawrence Guy on the inside to go along with their, like, really underrated defensive tackle unit. Like, I really yeah. didn't understand how underrated they were until uh, we started talking about it, like, probably the last two days or, or so. Uh, they traded for Coney Ely at defensive end, and they went, they spent two of their four only draft picks on two pass rushers I loved in Derek Rivers and Dietrich Wise. Uh, at cornerback, they lost Logan Ryan, and they brought in Stephon Gilmore. So, like, there is literally no spot that they got worse at, and they probably added to their pass rushing unit with young names at least, and they got insurance on the offensive line, even though they're returning five guys who played more than 90% of the snaps for them last season. Like, this is basically a lock of a team uh, to go basically on, like, a historical run unless there's a massive injury somewhere. Yeah, and I I think the, the defensive line for the Patriots is just so underrated. I mean, even Trey Flowers, like, that dude, he can play. And when you look at how they like to flex their fronts, and they play a lot of bare fronts, and he can play three technique, he plays some nose, he can play that strong side end, and he's kind of like that quote-unquote Michael Bennett glue guy that uh, you always hear pe- always hear teams talk about. But he he's actually a really good player. And then I think Malcolm Brown and Alan Branch, like, th- that's one of the best – run-stuffing duos in the league, and then you add the juice in the offseason, and you go get Derek Rivers off the edge. And if you have guys like Malcolm Brown and Alan Branch and Trey Flowers taking up space in the middle and beating guys off the edge, that's going to make life a lot easier for Derek Rivers, who's transitioning from the FCS to the NFL game. And also Vincent Valentin last year, who uh, I'm pretty sure he, if I remember correctly, he passed the force-player metrics for... Uh, defensive lineman for, for interior defensive lineman yeah he, he's kind yeah. of a freak athlete for his size for sure yeah and he, and he was he was he started off the season really strong but he was banged up uh dealing with some back and some ankle injuries so this year too is going to be uh huge for him but i mean they have a bunch of guys who can play they have athletes on the edge they have athletes on the inside and even the guys who aren't that athletic are still really good technicians like malcolm brown and i, I think Coney Ely might have been the splash move of the offseason for the Patriots on the as far as the, the defensive line goes. But 
there's like six or seven defensive line take over him on that on that team yeah exactly Cody Ely wild overrated so he's just he's just a nice little death piece but hey if if, if Cody Ely's your sixth or seventh defensive lineman that that's fine that's fine (laughs) yeah you're doing doing solid like the one thing you could probably say about the Patriots right is like outside of Dante Hightower they probably have some weak linebackers right they're they're playing Eldon Roberts Calvin Noy and Shea McClellan two guys who failed uh at other spots in the league right and then Eldon Roberts who is basically a late round pick from a group of five school last year. So, uh, you know, on the surface, you're like, okay, these linebackers aren't really named guys. This is probably the weakest spot for the Patriots. That's not true. They finished fifth in fumble percentage, fifth in run percentage, eighth in yards per carry. So it's like, like this team literally can really do no wrong other than like their worst spot probably was LeGarrette Blunt's uh, yards per carry average last year. And they got, they just got Stephon Gilmore who's probably going to be their short yardage guy. And I think he led the NFL in yards per carry you last year. Stephon Gilmore? Whatever. Uh, Gillisley, Mike Gillisley, my bad. <laughs> That'll happen every once in a while. I'm just ha- I'm happy you you, uh, you catch it. Yeah. Uh, so they got him and they got Rex Burkhead, who can, like, catch out of the backfield. So, like, I, I don't know if they're going to commit to anyone in that running game, but that running game certainly got better, and that was really my only question mark for the team moving forward. All right, yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for the AFC East. It's a... Uh... Same old, same old as it has been for what seems about. I think we're inch, we're, we're probably inching up on near twenty years of Patriots dominance in that division. Yep. So that's all we got for the AFC East. We'll be back next week, uh, maybe even the end of this week with our NFC East preview. We'll be up, first up with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, tomorrow on the SettingEdge.com. You can definitely check those out. Share with your friends. Share with your loved ones. Subscribe on iTunes. Five stars only. Uh, All right, that's all we got. Have a nice day, guys.